Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gray Ralton Church. Good to have you with us this morning. And uh, my name's Tim, if you don't know who I am, and uh, glad you could be here with us. I really am. Uh, I know some of you are maybe new. This may be your first time here. Uh, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to talk for a couple of hours, and then after that... You mean there's going to be something happen after that? <laughs> we're, we're going to look at some stuff in the Bible. You've got some notes in your bulletin and follow along if you like. Uh, you, can, we, you, know, you can circle words. I love circling words. There's words I want to remember or thoughts I want to remember. Jot them down on that. Hopefully you can discuss what we've learned today with someone, uh, maybe in your small group, your discipleship group, or maybe with a person that brought you. But uh, that, that, we'll do that. We'll sing. We're going to have two songs at the end of my lesson. One, to give you time to fill out a communication card, and that's found in your bulletin. And it's just a, it's just a card where you could fill out maybe uh, oh, a decision you've made or something you would like for people to pray about. Because we'll take those cards up during that last song, along with our regular contribution from our church. And if you're a guest, you're not obligated to give. If you'd like to, we could use it, and we will use it. But, um, uh, but take advantage of that prayer request uh, card, uh, that, that communication card, and Maybe there's something you'd like for people to pray over. They'll, they'll pray to God every day for you for that particular issue that's going on in your life. Um, church is designed, coming together is designed to edify and help one another and leave different. And we hope that you're going to, be, you're going to leave today uplifted in some way, changed in some way, maybe uh, inspired in some way. Now, we're, uh, there's a couple things in your bulletin you're going to notice. One of them is an insert, and that's our ladies' retreat that's coming up. I wanted to get that out. And it's called Take Me Deeper. You know, like Mike was saying at the opening, the, our, our uh, series or our, our theme for this year is Sinking Roots, Raising Fruit. We realize that the fruit system, what you see above ground, is uh, all that's nice, but it's determined by what goes on below ground when no one's looking. Your private, personal life with Christ. And it's important where you put your roots, where you, where you put them. And this latest retreat is going to be looking at, you know, Take Me Deeper, Lord. It's about... God, I want to know more than just things on the surface, but take me deeper into understanding your love, understanding your word, understanding your purpose, your purpose for me and my life. And so I uh, hope you'll sign up for that, ladies. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be uh, really, really cool. They got, my wife's got lots of stuff planned, and, and uh, I just want to, uh, I wanted to want you to know I appreciate not only my wife, but, but Chris and Susan working together, trying to strategize this thing. And, and you know, I want, I want to say just a special shout-out of praise uh, to Ann Fleming because Ann has really um, stepped it up. She was, she was working on this, this graphics this morning. We completely trashed one set of graphics for a new set, and uh, she's like, no problem, Tim, and, and uh, thank you, Ann, for that. Okay, that was great effort, great effort. I know, I know. You don't do it for the applause. I know that. Um, so uh, t- this week we're talking, we're, we're continuing our series and, and rooted, and uh, wanna, well, we've been looking at things like, what does it mean to be rooted in Christ? You know, Colossians talks about being rooted in Christ. Ro- rooted, sink your roots deep is what the Bible says in Colossians 1. I think it's 10 and 11. Uh, we've been looking at that. We've looked at what does it mean to be rooted in hope. And if you haven't got to listen to any of these sermons, you've missed a few, they're on, on greateraltonshirts.com. Listen to them, I mean, uh, uh, and see what you think of them. I'm not saying because I'm talking. I just think it's good stuff, you know. I mean, you know, I'm working with the best material in the world, guys. I mean, how can I go wrong, all right? And so uh, look at it. 
a listen to it. We've, we've looked at things like that. Rooted in bitterness. What's it mean to have a bitter root? And we're not, by the way, that sermon on bitterness is not really talking about being bitter towards somebody. But having something in our lives that just is, it doesn't taste or feel right compared to God's sweetness. And what's that all about? And, and then um, last week we looked at being rooted in the Word of God. And I really appreciate the feedback and and. Your response in your, on your cards was just so cool to see people saying, I want to be rooted in the Word. I want to know my Bible. You know, God wants you to know your Bible, too. And that's good, isn't it? So God's going to help you with that. And praise God that you're making decisions like that. Now, today I want to do something. This, this sermon kind of had a life of its own. I want to apologize ahead of time. You know, you ever, I don't know if you've ever planned something, but then it didn't go out as it, like it planned. And I had this idea for uh, doing a sermon on being rooted, an, an idea of rooting of being rooted in the in, in God's family. This is a different uh, PowerPoint. Um, it's not supposed to be rooted in God's Word, but how to have a rooted family. And so uh, I had this idea, but then I, it's like the Holy Spirit took me in a different world, took me in a different place. And, and so you you, you got to cooperate with God, okay? When this thing when these things happen, all right? The Word of God is is your playbook, not the other way around. Amen. And so uh, today I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, uh, how to be, how to have a rooted family, how to have it used. And you may be thinking, oh, you're talking to parents today. I'm talking to everybody today. Everybody has family around them. Now, you may be single and not even have a, a date. You know, you might not even have a girlfriend. I point this way, but really, I, teens, it isn't just you guys. There's some people out here, adults, that don't have a girlfriend or a boy. They're single. And you might think, you might think, uh, you know, well, I, I'm just, just me and I don't have a family. Oh, yes, you do. You maybe have parents. You might have a brother or sister. You might have a cousin or a nephew or a niece or grandparents. We all have family. We're all connected to family. And you may not realize this this morning, but it's not just mom and dad or grandpa and grandpa, grandma and grandpa that have, that can make impact on their family, but all of us can. All of us encourage our family in some way. I don't know how many times you read the book of Proverbs where it talks about a son a bad son discourages the father or the mother. You know, it talks about that. So if you think it's just one way today, when I'm talking about it, and you might, it may sound that way. It may sound as I'm talking about family. Oh, you're talking to parents because I may be referring to mom and dad a lot. When I do that, just pretend you're hearing brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, grandpa, grandma. You're hearing all the others too, all right? Because God wants your family, your family, to be rooted in Him. Now, the Bible says here, look at this, this is up on the screen, I don't think it's in your notes. It says here that the root of the righteous flourishes. The Bible says that. So it must be true. That when my roots are in Christ, then I can expect things to flourish. I'm not saying that things are wonderful and great all the time, but they grow. My life grows. My faith grows. And all of us here have a, have a root system. And, and, and the Bible compares uh, our lives like trees with roots. And these roots represent our values, the things that we hold on to, the things that, that we find comfort and assurance and direction and stability from. And folks, you can put your roots in a lot of things. You can sink your roots and you're depend, you can depend on money. You can depend on people. You can depend on the government. Oy. You can depend on a lot of things. Okay, You can even depend on yourself. You're kidding me. You can even be root in yourself. You ever seen a root-bound plant? Its roots just get all tangled up in themselves. And how do they do? 
If not taken care of, they die. And all these things that, 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 that people put their hope in, their trust in, they're disappointed. I want you to know this morning, you put your roots in Jesus Christ, you will not be disappointed. Your life will flourish, is what the Bible says. The root of the righteous flourishes. And that goes for our families as well. Now, here's a passage I want to show you. Uh, that's in, this is a, a, a psalm of the ascent. This is one of the 15 psalms that was sung as people walked up the steps to the temple to be in the presence of God. And this is Psalms 128, I think, not 129. Does your note say 129? It's really 128. Can you change that 9 to, to an 8? Uh, that's my fault. Um, and what I want us to see here is, is listen to what this psalm says. Look at the encouragement it gives us. This is one of the things, one of the short songs that are sung, that is sung while people are walking up these gigantic steps to the temple to be in the presence of God. How happy are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. I want you to see right off the bat, happy are those who fear is not talking about terror, but those that respect the Lord. And, and by the way, they believe there's a God. They respect that. And it's deeper than that. We're talking about roots. How is it deeper? They follow his ways. You can, you can believe there's a God, but unless you follow his ways, you're going to be shallow. You're just going to be a shallow believer. And God wants you deeper. He wants you to follow his ways. And that's how, follow his, follow his root system, in other words. It says, what will happen? You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How happy you will be. How rich your life. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine flourishing within your home. Talk about your marriage. When you fear the Lord and follow his ways, it improves your marriage. And it says, and look at those children. There they sit around your table as vigorous and healthy as young olive trees. This past weekend, yesterday, um, Matt and Brian came out to my house. My son Matt and his new wife, Brian, uh, came, came to our house. And we sat around the table. And, I'm, and I, because I would already knew this verse, I was prepared for it uh, today, I'm sitting there looking at Matthew in a different way. And I'm looking at Brian also. And they're young. And they're healthy. And they're you're just vigorous and strong. You know, Nathan sits there, or Matthew stands up, and he leans up against the, the counter, and he goes like this. And he's, he's got muscles. He's young, vigorous. And as I'm sitting around the table, what, 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 what do we talk about? What's he going to want to take? He goes, i got some questions. Oh, I'm sure it's about the lawnmower. Yeah, it's about your lawnmower. It's about your house. No, no. I have questions about the Bible. And I'm like, what? What a joy. What a joy. What a, what a, you know, instead of getting into it with my son about something, he's wanting to get into the Word of God. And, he, and I'm looking over at Brynn, and she's all misty-eyed like, that's my man. He loves the Lord, and she loves the Lord. And he, sa- and he says, man, this is what you'll experience when you, when you go deeper than just knowing the Lord and having a respect for the Lord, but you obey His commands. It changes your marriage. It changes your family. They grow like olive trees in the house of God, is what it's saying there. It says here, that is the Lord's reward for those who fear Him. And then it's like this song encourages, as people are going to church, 
This is the psalm that encourages you and I today. As people are walking up the steps of the temple, and I hope you're encouraged by this, as you come to the presence of God this morning, it says, May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. And then it says this, May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. He said, Man, I hope you can even reach, you'll get to see and enjoy the roots from you spread through your children and even into your grandchildren. Wow, wouldn't you like to experience that? I would. Talking to... Do a, I do a lot of... I do a lot of... I've done some marriage counseling, and I've done some premarital counseling. I've been with people, you know, we, we, we ever... I don't know if you know the book we use right now. Uh, it's by the Perot's called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. They've got another book called Saving Your Second Marriage Before It Starts. That's interesting. But I have this saving your marriage before it starts. And they have a little workbook and you're working through it, you know, and you've got all these little things. You're going through it, uh, exercises, and you're matching how you feel and you see how you're different and you see how you're the same and everybody's so worried. Are we going to be so different? Are we compatible? All that stuff, kind of stuff's going on. Well, then there's this one particular chapter that explains something. It explains, you know, what's your greatest fear? It's about values. What's your greatest fear? And I list, I've listened to couples say things like this. I fear that my wife could die if we get married. That would be so tragic. I wouldn't know how to handle that, Tim. I, I fear what my kids are going to be like. Any parent identify with that one? Will they, what kind of person will they be when they grow up? What kind of friends will they ha- have? How will they dress? Will they be rebellious and crazy? You know, we worry, parents worry about these things. Parents, you know that's true. I remember at the age of seven, and I kid you not, at the age of seven, thinking about what kind of kids I'd have. You're kidding me. No, I thought about it at the age of seven. And what, what kind of boys would I have? I thought I'd have boys. And would they, and I did, by the way, or Denise did. And, and, and I want to make that clear, I didn't have them, okay? But, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, what kind of men would they be and how old I'd be. You know, when you're, li- when you're living in the 60s, you're thinking, I'll be 50-something by the, in the year 2000. I'll be close to 50. And I'm thinking, well, I'd be able to play sports and play marbles and, and, and shoot basketball and run and play tag with these guys when I'm 50-something? Because 50 ancient to a 7-year-old. But you have all these dreams and all these fears, and I, and I, and I couldn't help it. Th- at the beginning, that was the first time I had a parent thought. Maybe you've had that as well. You've thought, I worry about my children. What are they going to be? You haven't even had them yet. Some of you haven't even had them yet. What are they going to be like? And, uh, and some of you have had them, and you're going, what are they going to be like? What's going to happen to them? And, you know, you read these little, little questionnaires. And I listened to couples. One said, you know, I just worry about my, what, what my kids are going to you know, how they're going to turn out. And then, yeah, then what are your goals? What's some of your goals as a family? And then you listen. And, man, I hear all, all these answers. Well, I, my goal is that my family, I want to have a good job so I can provide a home for my family. I can provide clothes for my family. I can provide, I can provide all kinds of things. And, and I listen, this is one I heard lately recently. And one of the things I want to do is I want to be able to buy a car when my child wants a car for my family. Listen to us. You say, what's, what's wrong with that, Tim? Everybody wants to bless their family. 
Well, here's, here's the thing I noticed. Two questions down. What are your spiritual goals? You know how many times I've had, I've had this happen to me? I've had couples look at each other and look at Denise and I and go, we left that blank. I've actually had couples say that we don't have any spiritual goals. Oh, we believe in God. You believe in God? That's it? That's, there's no spiritual goals? No. And I want to tell you, church, that how tragic that is, isn't it? Because when your goal, when it's all about earthly stuff, and you leave out the eternal, man, your family's in trouble. And, and here the Bible promises, it promises you and I, when, when we go after the eternal things, the eternal values, that we sink our roots into that personally as parents, as children, as aunts and uncles, as grandparents and as cousins, it has an incredible impact on the other people in our family. That's what I want to talk about this morning, is how can I get my family deep, deeply rooted in Christ, in God, in spiritual things, in eternal things. And you know, I, for, I stumbled across this thought. What did the families in the Bible do? And so what I want to do is I want to look at several families this morning. And I noticed they have something in common. A lot of them are doing the same things. And what I did was I've taken the acronym ROOTED, that's six points, and we're going to look at all six of these. We're going to see that these things really count if you want to have your family rooted in Christ, rooted in spiritual values. I can tell you right now, as a father of, of two sons that are Christians, married to two women, daughters-in-laws, that are, that you know, it'll take law to make us love each other, but they're called daughter-in-laws nonetheless. They are godly women, and I, I pinch myself. How did this happen? It couldn't have happened without spiritual values. It won't happen without spiritual values in some way. And so how, so, so, uh, and by the way, if, you, if you're thinking, oh, no, after this lesson, I'm going to feel all beat up. I'm going to feel like a failure. Well, you just hold on to the end. Just hold on, okay? I'll just say it now. It's never too late. It's never too late to sink spiritual roots in your kids. My mom has still got an impact on me. And she's 80-something years old, and I'm 56. And I'm still a mama's boy. I want you to know, and I know this, by the way, my brother's four years older than me, and I have an impact on him. Long past the playground years. You follow me now? You know, it's, so what can I do to, to encourage my family to be rooted? I've got six points R-O-O-T-E-D. What are they? Hurry up, Tim. Okay, here we go. R is I, I help my family be rooted, and I encourage them to be rooted in God um, by relying on my God. That's the first one. In other words, I model confidence in God to them. I model a reliance on God to them. Now, I do this in two ways. The first way is I place my confidence in God during difficult times or during difficulty, moments of difficulty, okay? Whenever I'm facing difficulty of some sort, what do my kids see? What does my mom and dad see? What do my, 
you know, we, we, I, listen, I know some of you here are going, you know, I really want to have, be a good example at home because I'm trying to reach my mom and dad and everything. I think that's fantastic. But you, really, you know how you can really make that go solid? Don't worry so much about I want to impress my mom and dad. Just worry about pleasing God. Just, just think, focus on, you know, I'm going to rely on God if it gets sideways in my life because it will. We face difficulties all the time. Families face difficulty all the time. And I, I got thinking about which family faced some difficulty, and it was Abraham's family. You all know Abraham, father of the faith, of the faithful. You know, he's the very first guy. God gives him a, God gives him a, a promise. He goes, Abraham, I'm going to make your family as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of people. That's a big promise. And how's Abraham going to do that? Well, we're going to start right now. Well, there's only one problem. His wife can't have kids. And by the way, when she finally has a child and Isaac is born, he marries a woman that can't have kids. Huh? Yeah, she can't have kids either. And then finally, she, has to, she finally is able to have some kids. God's made that possible. And then Jacob and Esau are born. And Jacob works for a woman to have a woman 14 years. That's a long dating life, you ask me. Works really hard. Finally gets this woman, and guess what? She can't have kids either. What kind of story is this? God, you promised me I'd have all these kids. And yet you've given me a lineage of women that can't have children. Why would God do something like that? See, the goal isn't to have a bunch of kids. The goal is to rely on God. And all three of them guys, all three of those families, you find out Jacob prays prays for his wife to have a child. And she does. There's this model of reliance on God during difficulty. Abraham's no exception. He finally has Isaac. You know the story happens. God says, I want you to take your son, take him up to this mountain, and sacrifice him. Difficult? Very difficult. And what's he do? He takes, he's, he loads everything up. He's getting the burrow ready. He's got the wood ready. He gets his son. Come on, we're going to go together and we're going to go up to this mountain and, and make a sacrifice to God. And by the way, let me just say something here to parents. Take your kids to sacred places. The best thing you could do is take your kids to sacred places. I know Disney World's fun and Epcot and Universal or whatever, MGM, Six Flags, and take them to a ball game. But, you know, make sure you take them to a sacred place. You take them to a sacred place by being there yourself. And Abraham says, come on, you're coming with me to a sacred place. We're going to worship God and sacrifice. And, what, and what's, what's Isaac say? And look at this, what he says here in this passage. It says, he spoke of father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. You know, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He's going, you know, we got everything but, but the animal. And look what Abraham's response is. Now, I want you to think about it this way. Think about, if you could, think about it this way. What is Isaac hearing? Not necessarily what you're hearing, but look what Isaac is hearing here. He's hearing his dad say, you think it's difficult for Abraham to sacrifice his son? Church, you think that's difficult? I'll tell you what, I've found to be more true than, any, than anything I've, no, I've noticed as a parent 
in the kingdom of God is how hard it is for parents to sacrifice their children. They sure don't have a problem. Let me tell you, in America, parents don't have a problem sacrificing their kids for work. They sure don't have a problem sacrificing their kids for things that work. But where are the parents that will sacrifice their children so God can work? That is a rare breed. That's the conflict in parenting. That was the conflict in my parenting. Because I'm going, man, if I sacrifice my kids, that means that I'm not going to worship them. I'm not going to, everything's not going to revolve around them. I'm going to do everything for them. I'm going to, it's going to have to be for Christ and for the Lord. And Abraham is no exception. He says, you know, this is difficult. And his son goes, where's the, where's the sacrifice? And Isaac hears his father say to him, the Lord will provide the burnt offering. He himself will provide the lamb. So they, they keep going on together. They're working. They're building an altar. What an example. Family member. I don't care if you're a kid or a dad or a daughter or a mom, grandparent, whatever you are. Somebody in the family needs to be building altars. You follow me? Setting that spiritual tone. Abraham's building this altar and his son is helping him. And you can just see Isaac watching this focus on God, this reliance on God during difficult times. And sure enough, they get the thing built. And then you see, I don't, I get this idea that Abraham picks up some rope and ties his son up. But I don't get the impression his son is fighting. I mean, maybe the Bible doesn't record it because it'd be too embarrassing to record. I don't know. It just, it just, all I know is he ties his son up. And you can just see Isaac going, what are you doing? Oh, am I the lamb? You know what's interesting about this, guys? Isaac trusts his dad. And his dad doesn't disappoint him. Now you listen to me carefully here. Our kids trust us. Well, they sure aren't trusting me now. Why not? Why not? Well, they're just rebellious. How about you? Because Isaac saw his dad focused on the Lord when it was difficult. He didn't cut and run. I know this is hard to hear some of us parents. I know, oh, you're making me feel guilty. I'm not trying to get you to feel good. I'm saying anytime you want to get serious about this, you can. Anytime you want to. You can start today if you want to. So, so you're, you're putting it on me. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. If you're so bothered with the way you parented, then why don't you start parenting right? Why don't you just repent of it and say, I'm going to do it now. It's too late. Never too late. It's never too late. What are you doing, Dad? And, and Isaac must have been small enough to pick up because he puts him on the altar. I mean, he wasn't like a 300-pound, 28-year-old living at home, you know. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like that, okay? Picks him up. I don't know why that thought went in my head, but there you go. But there he is. He puts him on there. And then he sees Isaac. Isaac is watching this. He watches his father grab his, his knife and look at his son. And raise it up. And maybe just as his eyes, he, he sees his dad's eyes widen like, oh, here we go. Here we go. What's Isaac here along with his father? A voice. 
the voice of God. Because his father is faithful. I've always thought Abraham hears the voice. They both hear it. You guys, we give our kids an experience when we rely on God that they need. They need to learn it. And so Abraham, so full of faith, and remember the book, what's it saying? James or Hebrews? Figuratively speaking, he thought he was going to, he thought he was going to resurrect him. And figuratively speaking, he did. But he hears this voice, and I don't see Abraham. He says, don't, Abraham, you know, Abraham, don't, don't do this. You know, I see you're serious. And, that, and, and, and Abraham notices there's a ram in the thicket. Isaac notices it too. He sees it too. His kid, his family, experiences the rewards of faith along with the dad. I just want to ask you, do, 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 and this, this goes for all of us. We're all in Abraham's category here, regardless of where we are. Does the rest of your family see faith, reliance on God, or do they see you throwing a fit? They see you having faith in Christ, having faith in God. That's, that's, how, that's how it works, guys. That's how it works. You read, uh, write this down. It's not on your notes, not up here on the screen. Genesis 35. Just write the, verses 2 and 3. And watch, look at Jacob. The roots of Abraham go, reach his grandson, like Psalms 128 promises. It reaches his grandson where he says, Family, we're getting rid of all of our idols. We're going to build an altar right here. And we're going to worship God because he was with me in times of trouble. And I'm, he's going to be with us now. The second way I show reliance, that, that, that I display reliance on God, is I pray with my family. I couldn't believe how many families pray together in the Bible. There's a lot of praying together. Jacob prays for his wife to have a child. She does. I thought about all the families that prayed together. Which family did I want to pick? And I came, I came across uh, Job for some reason. Job was the guy. Job? Yeah, Job. Ain't that a book about suffering? No. It's not necessarily a book about suffering. It's a book about somebody's faith being tested. When you read the book of Job, always remember chapters 1 and 2 before you read verse, chapters 3 verse 30, uh, or on to 37. All that suffering is a testing of Job's faith. And, and, I, and, and, and what I want you to see here is, is that, that while this is going on, while this, while this suffering is going on, I notice something. Job's wife is involved in this too. There's a family that's lost ten children. Some of you here have lost children at childbirth. I know, I know of a man who lost a child. Was, one of her children was murdered. And, you know, I don't know what it is when death touches us, whether it be our mother or father or somebody. Doesn't it shake us? And we're difficult to get along with. We're grieving. We're grieving. And it's hard to process through all that. And here's Job who's lost ten of his kids. But it says in chapter 1, verse 5, that he regularly sacrificed for his kids. On a regular basis, he, he offered up sacrifices to God. He prays. He offers up sacrifice in case they've done something that was out of line. And, you, of course, you know what happens. 
Every, you know, the kids get killed. He loses the livestock. He's sick. Well, think about this. Now, let's look at Job's wife for a minute. She's experiencing the loss of ten children she's given birth to. She's lost her, her financial security. Her husband's business has went in the tank. And on top of that, Job is sick. He can barely move. Did you know Job's wife is mentioned three times in the book of Job? Once when it says, and Job's wife said, why don't you curse God and die? And that's the one we remember. Poor woman. That's what we remember. Yeah, what a raunchy wife. Did you hear that, honey? Oh, sorry. Honey, did you hear that? I understand. You know, that's what she's known for. Bad rap, yeah. But you know she's mentioned two other times? The other time she's mentioned is when Job says, my wife can't even stand my breath. My wife recently has told me, you need to go to the dentist. I'm going this week in my teeth. Your breath. You know. <laughs> He's so sick. And so is breath. He goes, she finds me hideous and repulsive is what she, it was. he mentions her there. And then he mentions her in another place when he says, you know, if I've been immoral to my if I've been unfaithful to my wife, let her make food for someone else. That's it. But you know, when you stop and think about it, guys, Job's wife is in every moment of the suffering that he's going through. She doesn't have to be mentioned all that much. And what does she hear from her husband? She hears things like, I wish I'd never been born. Or why is this happening to me? Or God, come here, we've got to talk about this. He's, he, she sees... And hears and experiences a family member crying out to God and seeking God in distress. Not trying to take care of it himself. Follow me now? Dependence on God. Look at one of my favorite verses. I've read through my Bible now four times. I went through Job four times. And now I'm starting to see some things. Look what I found. Look at this verse here. We did a daily text on it, I think, didn't we? This is what Job says. His wife is hearing Job say this. Though he slay me, he's talking about God. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. One translation says, God could kill me. It doesn't matter. I'll still trust him. What a powerful, powerful example. Guys, let me ask you something. Do you follow God because of what he gives you? If you give me, give me, give me, give me, and we go to church, I'm not getting anything out of the sermon. That's your problem. Be honest with you. Just being honest. I'm getting lots out of this one. And can I tell you, we come to church, well, this church, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else because I'm not getting what I need. Where does this mentality come from? America. Human nature. Give me. Give me. God and Satan are having it out. And Satan goes, you know why he's following you? Because you give him so much. Take it all away and let's see what happens. And God says, okay, you can take it all away. Who's the source of suffering? God is. No, he's not. Satan wants to take it all away. Jesus said, I come to give, it, give you life to the full. He's about giving life, not taking life. Gave his own life. But do, do you see what's going on here? Take everything away from him. Let's see what he does. And Satan takes everything away but his life. And what's Job say? Though God slay me, yet I'll hope in him. It's not about what I get. It's about who he is. That's what it's really about. 
I don't know about you, but that verse has become the most annoying and favorite verse in the Bible to me. Because I am not like that. And I want to be. I'm not like that. Oh, but I want to be. I hate this verse and love this verse. Because the maturity level that God, that Job has, is so far higher than anything I could come up with like that. Man, that's, that's a powerful verse. His wife hears that. Think that would encourage her as she's going through the same stuff? She don't have boils, but she has a sense of loss. And here's another verse I found. It's not on your notes up here on the screen. Look at this one. Job's wife hears this kind of, this kind of idea coming out of the mouth of Job. The prayer of Job. He knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I'll come forth as gold. His hope. He knows I'm going to come out better through this. Guys, I just want to ask you, you know, how much are we praying with our family? How much do we pray for our family? Sure. I, you guys are, I, I read some of your cards and all it is is family members. Boom, 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 boom. But I've often wondered, do we go pray with these people? Do you go pray with them? You ought to try that. It's powerful. Instead of just praying for them, pray with them. Because that's the habit that helps our children and our mom and dad. I'll tell you what, teenagers, when I prayed, I prayed a lot around my mother. And I believe it had an impact on her life. I prayed a lot around my brother. I didn't care. He thought I was nuts. He's sitting there nuts as can be right there. It's powerful. I'll pray for you. That's powerful. I'm not denying that. Let me pray with you. Whoa. What an impact you can make. Even on your faithful parents, on your faithful brother and sister, on your, to pray with them. Job was, Job's prayer life, he, she hears him struggle through things and hears him praise him. And here's the, she witnesses and hears the, the whole drama of what he's going through. The up and down, the good and bad. And she gets through it too. She's able to have ten more kids before it's all said and done. Wow. Wow. Number two. Now point two. They're going to go a little faster now, okay? The second one, the second one, you don't believe me. Well, let me, I'll prove it to you. Okay, here's the second one. O. O stands for owning up to my weaknesses and mistakes. I believe the American family is being pulled out by the roots right now. Would you agree with that? It's, it's being redefined with sexual orientation. And, with, and that's, not, that's the latest thing. It's been, it's, there's been an attempt to redefine the American family since the 50s and the 60s. It's just, and it's, it seems like it's accelerated so much. You'd agree, wouldn't you? I'm watch, I watch Andy Griffith all the time. All the time! And I cry because I remember when it used to be like that. 
I remember when you could, your kid, uh, one simple statement. Obi goes, Paul, I'm going to go home and ride my bike. Okay, we'll see you later. You can't do that now. I'm like, I remember we could do that. Things have changed. American family has changed. But can I tell you that the Christian family is being uprooted as well? It's being, it's being pulled up by the roots as well, guys. From, from some kind of lackadaisical, lazy, apathetic approach to the Lord. I think I've got on your notes here, the number one root killer of the Christian family is hypocrisy. Right? Am I right? Well, what's hypocrisy? Well, hypocrisy is not inconsistency. Good grief. Your kids know you're not perfect. Your kids, your parents know you're not perfect. Your aunt and uncle, your grandpa, everybody, we know in family we're not perfect. Hypocrisy is not inconsistency. Being honest is recognizing, being open is recognizing I'm inconsistent. I'm a sinner. I blow it. Hypocrisy is when we hide it. Hypocrisy is when we deny it and we try to project something else out there. I hope you're somebody that doesn't do hypocrisy very well. I sure pray that that, that you just, I just, I'm not a very good actor. Praise God. Because God calls us to be real. And that's what our Christian families need. That's what families need. You'll blow the mind of your parents, teenager, when you're honest about yourself. They won't know what to do with you. You better have an EMT ready. When you're just honest and say, look, I messed that up. Parents, you want to put your kids and have them go get a stress test because you made their heart kind of leap out. Just be honest about, you know, I don't do that very well. I was looking at families that, did, that admitted sin. And, you know, I, I didn't find, I found some pretty bad examples. I don't know how to, I don't, help me with this. See if you can help me with this. I, I looked. I typed in the word "I have sinned," and this is I, I come up with one family. His name, his family, it was Aiken and his family. You remember that family? And if you know anything about it, it's in Judges or in Joshua. They go to the, the Israel has just crossed the Jordan. They go to Ai. They're going to they're going to attack this town, and uh, 36 men are killed. Israelite and Israelites in the army. And Joshua falls to the ground, starts blubbering and praying. And one of the few times God says, what are you doing? Get off your face and do something. <laughs> huh? You don't want me to pray? No! You better do so. You got sin in the camp. And what happens? Well, he goes through each tribe and he goes through each clan. And then he gets through each family. And he finally, Joshua, God leads Joshua to the house of Achan. And Achan, you can just imagine him standing there with his wife and his kids. And he says, give glory to God. Tell the truth. And he goes, it's, I have sinned. I took a wedge of gold. I took a coat and hid it for myself. I have sinned. And what happens to Achan and his family? They're stoned. All their animals are killed. All their valuables are put in a pile and burned. So much for being honest. I don't want to do that. If that's what's going to happen, David, King David, another family. He's up on a rooftop and, and he's, you know, late at night, can't sleep. Happens to catch a woman taking a bath across the street up on her roof. 
a nice night. Nice view. Tells his servants, say, who is that? Oh, that's Bathsheba. I bring her over. You want me to go get her? Yeah, hurry. Sleeps with her. I don't know how long it is. Gets a note. I'm going to have a baby. And it's yours. <laughs> this is a good because Bathsheba's married to one of his best friends. And so what's he do? You know the story, right? Big conspiracy. Puts Uriah at the front of the line. Place of honor. Here, you carry the flag. And he's the first guy to get drilled with an arrow. Wow. Now she's free to marry. He marries her. She starts showing. Things are looking good. And then Nathan shows up. The prophet Nathan. David, I need to tell you a story. He tells a story about a guy who's got a bunch of sheep, living next to a guy that's only got one that is his favorite. He loves it like a pet, like a daughter. And the guy with all the other sheep has some friends over, but instead of killing one of his, he kills the guy. He goes next door, steals that guy's sheep, and, and kills it and prepares it. And by the time David's heard this story, what's he do? He loses his cool. Who is that guy? That he deserves to die. And you know what Nathan says? You're the guy. Huh? You're the guy. How many wives you got? How many women can you have? And Uriah loved his, loved his wife, and you took, took her away from him. And what's David say? I have sinned. And so the pregnancy goes without a problem, and the baby's born, and he becomes the third king of Israel, right? No. What happens? He dies. This honesty stuff just doesn't look very good, does it? Well, on the surface, it might look that way. But I want you to think about something. These two guys are honest in their families when they're caught. You hear me? They, they don't speak up till they're caught. Till they're busted out. Then they say, I've sinned. And there are consequences for that. Somebody gets hurt when our, when our transparency is framed like that. I've got another family in the Bible, though it's different. It works out different. See if you can see the difference here. It's a family Jesus talks about. A father has two sons. One son stays. One son wants all of his wealth. He leaves. Squanders it all. Remember the prodigal? And finally he's sitting there and he's eating pig slop thinking, this sucks. Does that say that in the Greek? Close. It says when he came to himself, you know what it means? Literally, he saw himself in the reflection of the slop. I'll go home, he thinks. I'll just go home and, and I'll go home and I'll just tell my father I have sinned and I've blown it and I'll just be a servant. And so look at the verse. Here's the verse here. Uh, it says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to call your son. And you know what the, how the story goes. I'm no longer to be called worthy of your son. I need you can just see the dad put his... Huh? Guys, get a coat. Put a coat on my son. Get him some shoes. Bare feet are the sign of a slave, and he's my son. Get some shoes. I'm restoring him to sonship. Here's a ring. Here, here, take this ring. You're giving me one of your rings? Yes. And we're going to party hardy. 
Do we have any root beer? Last night, it was crazy here. Loud music, lots of root beer. I thought I saw somebody throwing up, but I don't know if that's over root beer. But They were chugging it. We're going to party. And they, and they rejoiced. My son that was lost is now found. Wait a second. Stop a minute. I don't get it. I have sinned. Why doesn't he get burned? Why doesn't he die? Because it was his idea to confess. He wasn't busted out. Don't you think that would be so refreshing in families? If we, we didn't have to wait for a Judge Judy moment to finally say, okay, I did it. But rather, I did it. Dad, I messed up. Mom, I messed up. One time, and this is my earliest memory, um, I was yelling at Nathan over something. I was upset about something else, and he got the brunt of it. He was four years old. Four years old. And Nathan's always been the son that says, Dad, you need to calm down and trust the Lord. Where did you get that idea? From Mom. (laughs) Oh, you didn't point? Okay. You need to calm down, Dad. And here he is, four years old. God is so good to me. Praise God, he's so good to me. And I'm yelling at him, and I have one of those, you know, again, Andy Griffith yelling at Opie, realizing Opie didn't do anything wrong, so Andy feels bad. And so I go back to Nathan, and I'm sitting there, this old house on Kendall, and he's only four, about this tall, and I'm squatted down, and I go, Nathan, I'm so sorry for yelling at you. I really blew that. That was dumb. I'm so sorry. I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not, I hope you can forgive me. And he puts his arms around me. His hands are only this big, you know. I'll never forget, he pats me right here. It's okay, Dad. Just calm down. It's going to be all right. He started saying that then. Why? Why the forgiveness? Guys, I'm going to tell you, when we are volunteering, when we say it without being caught, when we'll just be open and honest, you can't tell me, young people, that that wouldn't impress you if mom and dad would just go, I blew that. Wouldn't that impress you? Anybody going to say, yeah, besides Jesse? Gary, what'd you do? But am I right? Wouldn't you go, holy cow. Mom, Dad, what's wrong with you guys? You're supposed to be stubborn and, you know, prideful. Wouldn't it be refreshing Although it might be a little scary to hear your son or daughter come up to you and say, Hey, listen, here's what happened, and I'm responsible. Wouldn't you be different with that rather than, Here's all the evidence! There's the ticket! Here's the police report! Okay, I did it! You're grounded for life! Would you say that if they said, Look, I did this. Here's the ticket. Here's the police report. It's going to be okay. Look what the Bible says here in Proverbs. Is that the next verse, Pat? Oh, good. Look at it says here. If you hide your sins, you'll not succeed. If you confess and reject them, you'll receive mercy. I think one translation says you'll get a second chance. Guys, when we confess, when we're open about our sin, we're open about it. You can't tell me that mercy won't come from that. It promises that. And by the way, when your kids are open or when your parents are open and you, and 
you can have that kind of environment in your home, doesn't that somehow, your family, guys, gets to experience the mercy and forgiveness of God on a human level. And boy, families, aren't we, don't, don't our families kind of shape how we view God to begin with? Oh, man, if we could just get this down. What's number three as we're thinking of lunch? And offer my service to God. You want to root your family in God? Then be a servant. Be a servant. First Peter says we're to use our talents. we use our, the gifts God has given us. I think we stay around here. Alan has said this. We've said this. That God wants to use our time, talent, and treasures. And that Bible, the Bible says that. Use those to serve others, to be a servant. Guys, would you, would you agree with this? You know, if there was something you would agree with. I'm sure you'd agree with this. I, don't, I think my kids need to learn that the world does not revolve around them. Huh? Amen. You know how they learn? They learn. They learn it when you teach them that the world doesn't revolve around you. Hello. They see you being a servant. They might hear this, but they see it. It makes a tremendous impact, and it roots. It 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 sinks the the words of God into work, habit, values become done, worked, action, application. Let me encourage you to do that. It says in Joshua 24, Joshua said this. I mean, he was, everybody's choosing a God, you know. And some people are going, I don't know if I want to serve God. Oh, I think I want to serve this other God. And he says, well, you know, there's a lot of gods out there. And there are a lot of gods out there, aren't there? There's a lot of things that want your, what's, what do you mean by a God, Tim? Anything that, that tries to take your time, talents, and treasure is trying to become a God in your life. Your job can be a God. Your job can be a God. Your pleasures can be a God. Possessions can be a God. Popularity can be a God. You can even be your own God. And Joshua says, you know what? Choose for yourselves, it says. And you better do it today. And he says, As for, he says I've already made up my mind. As for me and my family... We sing that song, as for me and my house. That's, this is where it comes from. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. It's something you decide as a dad, as a mom, as a teenager, as a campus student, as a young adult, as a, an uncle, an aunt, grandpa, grandma, and everything in between. You decide, I am going to be a servant of God. I'm going to model that for my family. And when you do that, when you make it about serving God, the rest of your family is influenced by that. One of the things that I, I, I will tell you with confidence is I followed my kids through ministries. I was, I was in charge of the kids' ministry for 20 years here at Greater Alton. I taught a lot of you. Some of you here are now adults that used to be the kids. And the slobber, you know. You know I remember that. Yes, I remember that. Okay, yeah. 
some of the crazy stuff we did in Bible time and the puppet plays and the visual effects. And I remember one time we made a bunch of bones come together with strobe lights as the bones were coming together with, with, with thread you couldn't see. And, and we're doing Ezekiel. And the, some of the kids are going, ah! that's what they're doing. I'm going, yeah. What did you learn today? I was scared to death. That's a good Sunday when you can do that. Okay. I followed them. They got born. I kept working with the kids. And then they went to the team ministry. And guess what? I kind of <laughs> followed them in that too. Mission trips, church camp. I, Denise and I would open up our homes, our homes, our home, to, to say, bring anybody you want. Well, we would learned to adjust that. Anybody? Here they come. You know, and we followed them through that. I let them, I let them, I encouraged them to get with youth workers. I know some of you, and you hear some people say, well, I didn't have a good experience with my kids in the teen ministry. I did. It was awesome. And I strategically put my sons with certain men because I wanted them to be bold. And they are. I wanted to be men, men. God's man. And then when they got out of high school, you know, they go into college. Boy, that's when it really gets expensive. And so I'm in the campus ministry with them. And I'm doing stuff with them in the campus ministry. Hey, we're doing a root beer kegger. You want to come? Uh, we're we're, in, we're, we're uh, welcoming international students. What do you want me to do? Flip burgers. You got it. Burger up, bing! I mean, I'm doing the best flipping I can. Me and Mike Dennis, we're just flipping them away, you know. And I would say to you parents, you know, if your kids are in the kids' ministry, or have you ever been in the kids' ministry? Let me get this. You're a parent and you've never been in the kids' ministry with your kids? What's wrong with you? What a great opportunity. What a great opportunity. You know, I I drive up and drop them off. You know, last night I was walking around at the root beer kegger. Jess Ellers is is with his son and daughter at the root beer kegger. And I thought, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool to see that. I think he's keeping an eye on his boy and his girlfriend, probably. Which is, honestly, guys, it's his job. Blame everybody but ourselves, don't we? And so I, and I'm simply saying is that, is that there's, you go with them. Be involved. You, well, you know, I just drop them off. Don't do that. Drop off with them. Well, they don't like it. Well, don't be, you know, how you doing? Having fun? Who's this? No, I'm not talking about being annoying. Why not, why not go over somewhere and help somewhere else while they're doing that? Man. There's so much parenting. And by the way, not only do you follow them in their ministry, why don't you bring them along in yours? One of the things that my sons know how to do is build things because they've been with me when we've worked on somebody's house, worked on somebody's thing, and they've been right in there too. You know, I have them alongside Don Yoder. They got their tool belt. They got their cup of coffee and donut just like Don. 
And, and I, I knew we, we were spending too much time around Don when, he go, when one of my boys goes, you're doing that wrong. Wait a minute. <laughs> Six years old? Doing it wrong? What do you know? I've been drywalling. You know, I used to work with the Amish. I'm like, no, you haven't. You don't know any Amish people. And it's Mennonite. Oh, sure. I've taken my kids to hospitals. I've taken my kids to funerals. You take your kids to funerals? Yeah. Why? Some people need to see kids at funerals. And they need to see. They need to see life and death. You know, God's, you know, dad, what are you going to be remembered for, guys? You know, mom, dad, whatever, teenage. Well, he's gone all the time partying. She's gone all the time, you know, with her friends, just wasting a lot of money. And, you know, he's, he's gone to work all the time. He's, or is it about, you know what? They're serving the Lord. They serve the Lord. As for me and my house, will they remember you're a servant? Number four. T. I encourage my family to go deeper and, and to be rooted in Christ through taking my growth and maturity seriously. I have to show them that I still need to grow. I've got to model that. They need to see that I'm still growing. I'm still, you know, honestly, parents, uh, what do you see your kids doing? Playing video games or in the Bible? And by the way, if your kids, if your kids are involved in a Bible study with somebody or going to a cross chat, you need to get on your hands and knees and thank the Lord above because they could be doing a whole lot of other things. And when they're trying to invite and connect with somebody that, that's not a Christian, don't get in their way. Try to figure out how to help them. But do they see you taking your growth and maturity seriously? That you're still trying to grow. You're still trying to, trying to mature. You've you're still got some immaturity. You're still trying to deepen your roots. I look at people in the Bible, families in the Bible again. And um, Noah came to mind. The guy who built a big boat. Look what it says about Noah here. This is the family history of Noah. Now, stop right there. This is the family history. This is what he's going to... The history of Noah. His family history. And what is it? Notice it starts with him. Noah was a good man. Innocent man. And he walked with God. And he had three sons. Moe, Larry, and Curly. You know, he had the three sons. Do you see where I'm going with this? Anybody notice this? My family history is not just traced by my kids, but traced with my relationship with God. My personal walk with God. You know, the Bible says that Noah, I think a few verses down, it says he did everything that God commanded. Isn't that interesting? That's what the sons witnessed. And by the way, the sons helped him build that boat. The sons were in that boat. And yes, I know, the sons had to sober him up. And I don't know what that means. You check it out sometime. He was drunk as a skunk. I don't know how to explain that part. I guess he wasn't perfect. He's got some growing to do. But Noah walked with God. Even though he may have tripped up occasionally, he walked with God. And he, he took his personal growth and maturity seriously. And I want to say to you, all of us, 
it's never too late to model for our kids, to model for our parents, to model for our families that I'm going to, I'm going to grow. I want to be what God wants me to be. What is it you need me to be, Lord? I, w- I want to tackle it. I see this weakness. I want to make it a strength. And guys, when I see... When I see other people doing that, when I see family members doing that, it inspires me to do the same. Number five. Expressing my faith. I want, to root, I want my family to be rooted in God. It comes from expressing my faith. Expressing it through action, expressing it through all these different ways. I love this. Philemon says, I pray, Paul says, I pray you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have what? A full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says there. It says, notice this, I pray you'll be active in sharing your faith. And what happens? The results are you have a deeper understanding of what God is, deeper roots. I learn more from teaching than just from learning. That don't make sense, does it? But it does. I learn more learn deeper by learning how to share it than just retaining it, but revealing it to other people. That's the way that's the way life works, guys. And let me say something to you. I find nothing more encouraging to me personally than when I see and hear and witness family members of mine studying the Bible with people, inviting people to church, bringing people to church, sharing their faith with people. My wife, sometimes she'll go, I've got to go. Where are you going? Oh, I'm, I've got to study. You know, and some husband's going, well, where's dinner? I don't give her a heart. I go, rock on, girl. Rock on, man. She comes back. Guess what happened in this study? We covered this. It was exciting. Listen to my son yesterday talking about a study he's in. And he goes, Dad, it's like, I am so thankful to God. I'm learning so much about how good God is to me. I listened to my niece. I listened to Morgan a couple years ago, sitting on a hillside and behind my house, talking to somebody, trying to calm them down. No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible says. It says this. And I'm sitting there going, Yeah! Yeah! Denise and I will be in a study, and I talk too much, obviously. And, and she, I take a breath, and she cuts in. Boom, 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 boom. And says something, I just go, holy cow, I never thought of that. Encourages me to deepen my faith. If you've got a teenager sharing their faith, a campus student sharing their faith, a young adult, a son or a daughter, a brother sharing their faith, guys, isn't it encouraging? They're in a study with somebody. They're changing eternity for someone. And when you do that, it encourages them as well. Express your faith. I, who's the family, Tim? Apollos or I mean, Aquila and Priscilla is that family. That family was something. They see it here, Apollos. They pull him aside and teach him the Word of God more adequately. I wonder how that felt to Aquila as, as he heard his wife sharing from the Scriptures. Or how Priscilla must have felt when she heard her husband sharing from the Scriptures to Apollos. And Apollos being better because of it. That's such an encouragement. That's such an encouragement. And the last thing, last thing I will leave you with is this, is that I really, I'm able to 
encourage my family to be deeper, to have roots in Christ and God through directing all the credit to God. Some of you here, I listen to you. And I'm, I'm so thankful. I know your kids are hearing from your lips praise. Not to them, but praise, praise to God. You see, it starts with a reliance on God, but it ends with pointing back to God. And that's what praise does. And look at this psalm in Psalm 78. And look what, look what, look what uh, the psalmist says here. I will speak using stories. I will tell secret things from long ago. We have heard them and known them by what our ancestors have told us. He says, you know, our family passed this down to us. Well, what is it? Well, they're stories, Tim. They're secrets from long ago. And he says, we will not keep them from our children. We're not going to keep them from our family. We will tell those who come later about the praises of the Lord. We'll tell about His power and the miracles He's done. You read the rest of that psalm, and it says we, we will tell our children. We will tell our grandchildren. Guys, there's, there's something powerful when we're praising God. We're not trying to find a way to take the credit. We're not trying to find a way to make us look all that good. But we give God the credit, God the glory. It, what does it do? It encourages us to rely on God again. It encourages us to, to, to validate that God is the source of any success that we experience. That all perfect blessings, all good and perfect blessings, like Paul told Timothy, come from heaven. And it tells us it starts with God and it ends with God. Can I say one thing to you as we close? Complaining does not praise God. Your, your family is... Listen, I don't care if you're 13 or 113. Your family will be as positive as you or as negative as you. Why not make it as positive as you possibly can? By giving glory and praise to God. Always pointing to God. Those, those moments of praise plant seed, positive seeds to help people grow. Now, you got your prayer cards. Maybe you've already got them filled out two points ago. That's fine. Some of you here might be thinking, man, Tim, I listened to what you just said, and I am so, I feel so guilty. I want to say to you again, my son brought this up to me. He said, Dad, Will you talk about Eli? And I said, why do you want me to talk about Eli, Nathan? He goes, because here's a guy that blew it with his kids, but he got another chance with Samuel. And I want to encourage you. If you feel like, man, I've blown it, first of all, it's never too late to start being spiritual with your, with your family. Begin today. But I also want you to know there are, there are, there are people, there are kids, there are parents, there are brothers and sisters in God's family that you can help by taking your roots deeper. You've got lots to do. Don't beat yourself up. You can't, you know, Alan said one time, you can't saw sawdust. You can't change the past, okay? But you can change now. And with God's help, you can change the future. You have a card in your bulletin 
And it's just a response card. We're going to sing a song while you um, um, fill that out. And then we'll sing another song. Take up that card along with our contribution. May God bless you with deeper roots. May God bless you with the courage and the energy to, to encourage your family to be deeper. Deeper in Christ. Let's pray.